Psalm 32, we're taking time this summer uh, to consider the songbook of faith that God has given to us in the Psalms. And as we'll continue to find a variety of expressions to God from His people, and uh, so there, is, there are riches for us here. And we'll conti- consider, as I mentioned earlier, a psalm of confession. David, as he confesses his sins, this is Psalm 32. Hear now the word of God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for this poetry that you have given to us. We thank you for all of the expressions of faith that we have in this book. And we admit as we come to this particular one, it is not the easiest to join. This is not the easiest song to sing because it makes us sing of sin. It makes us sing of our own rebellion. And there is plenty within us that does not want to join that song. So, would you by your spirit grant us humility tonight? I pray that as we consider these words, your spirit would uncover the sin of our hearts, the sin of our lives. Not so we would wallow in guilt, but so that we could come to you with it. Help us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Confession is good for the soul. It's one of those cliches that has been said so often for so long. It's hard to know where it came from, and sometimes it's hard to know what it means. 
And our culture has a complicated relationship with that proverb. Because, on the one hand, we see confession of sin as as an arcane, repressive expression of religion that we have outgrown in our modern world. But on the other hand, confessional memoirs that bear deep and dark secrets are among the most popular books, the best-selling books of the last 20 or 30 years. Not to mention blogs and interviews and music in the same vein. On the one hand, we have seen people, we've experienced people in public and in our private lives who have used confession, who have used insincere confession to promote their career, to promote their reputation, to manipulate relationships. But on the other hand, therapists and counselors and recovery programs have grown to understand the necessity of honest admission of wrong in the process of change. So the ubiquitous refrain, hi, my name is... And I am a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. So what do we do with confession? Psalm 32 joins several other poems throughout the book of Psalms called penitential psalms that demonstrate that confession is not only good, but it is essential for life. It is necessary in relationship to God. Did you notice that this psalm begins with the same word that the whole book of Psalms begins with? Blessed. A full and flourishing human life must include songs that sing of failure. Poetry that speaks of rebellion and disobedience. So I want us to consider this poetry, and I want us to do more than consider it. I want to invite you into it tonight. I want to invite you into these words, and I want to ask you to make them your own. Acknowledging that that is a hard thing to do. And as we consider this text, we'll see three elements of confession. The need for confession, the method of confession, and the result of confession. So first of all, the need for confession. There's an important contrast in this poem. And so you see at the beginning and the end of of this psalm has very positive language. So verses 1 and 2 talk about blessedness. Verse 11 talks about gladness and joy. So the song begins and ends positively. But compare that with verses 3 and 4. These verses that speak of bones wasting away. Verses that speak of groaning, of of drought. Images of sorrow, of depression, 
even of despair. And the need for confession stands in the space between the gladness, the joy, the blessedness at the beginning and end of this psalm and the sorrow and the depression and the darkness in the middle of it. So why this difference? Why this difference between gladness and depression? Why this difference between blessedness and drought? Well, obviously sin has something to do with that, right? And we see these three words that occur uh, throughout this psalm. They also occur, occur throughout Psalm 51 that we used in our prayer of confession. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. And these words all revolve around the idea of an inconsistency between how I am living and how God wants me to live. So that type of sin contributes to the darkness, the sadness of verses 3 and 4. But that's not all. It's not just sin that creates this negative situation. It is silence about sin. You see how verse 3 begins? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Why is that? Why is it not just sin? Why is it silence about sin that creates the problem of verses 3 and 4? Well, it's because sin is not simply failing to meet some impersonal standard. Sin is a fracture in our relationship with God. It is not impersonal ideas and concepts. It is a personal act against a personal God. So God gives us commandments. He gives us instructions on how we should live. But those commandments, those laws, are an expression of His love. And when we reject what He says, when we live inconsistently with the commands that He gives to us, the instructions that He gives to us, We are not just disobeying. We are rejecting His love. We are rejecting what He desires for us. What He wants for us. And when we stay silent about that, there is a fracture in the relationship. There is distance in the relationship. So I think most of us know the experience of being in the same room with a person but feeling thousands of miles away because of conflict, because of silence about that conflict. You know that experience, right? Well, that in many ways is the experience that David describes, the psalmist describes in verses 3 and 4. It is the experience of deep and profound relational distance. And silence 
is what keeps that distance in place. It is what keeps us in the experience of being far from God. And the darkness, the groaning, the drought that that means for us. And confession exists to break the silence. Confession exists because of that difference. It exists to deal with the separation that has happened because of our sin. Now, how does it do that? How do we break the silence? How do we respond to this experience of distance, of separation from God? Second element of confession, the method of confession. The last line of verse 2 seems out of place. If you read starting at verse 1, it doesn't seem to fit because... Uh, the poetry is talking about being forgiven, being covered, being counted uh, as not guilty. And then all of a sudden he says, and blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. So it's almost like, blessed are, are you if you are forgiven of sin, but really blessed are you if you don't sin. It, it's, it's like it takes the weight off and then it puts the weight back on. But that's not what's going on. The deceit here that the psalmist talks about is deceit in relationship to our sin before God. It is a lack of honesty about our sin. So, a lack of deceit leads to forgiveness. Not because it earns for forgiveness, but because it asks for forgiveness. Because it leads us to be open and honest about our failure before God. And that's why the whole song turns on verse 5. You have this negative situation in verses 3 and 4. And what changes the situation? I acknowledged. I did not cover. I said I will confess. The silence that holds us under guilt is broken by taking the experience of verses 3 and 4 and making speech out of it. The silence is broken. That silence that maintains our distance from God and keeps us under the experience of guilt. That silence is broken when we take guilt and turn it into words, when the weight of our shame becomes honest words before God. There is an old sermon illustration that asks you to imagine that a very important person is coming to your house, a royal person, a king is coming to your house. And then the illustration asks you to imagine how you would respond to that. And so it lists things that you would do. You would clean the house. You would dress in nice clothes. You would prepare the nicest meal possible. 
And then the punchline of the illustration, God wants to live in your heart. And so that's the way you need to respond to him. You need to clean up so that he can come and live in your heart. No. No. Wrong king, wrong God, wrong religion altogether. All that approach does is it imprisons us in silence. It imprisons us in pretense. It imprisons us in deceit. And it keeps us in the experience. It keeps us under the weight of guilt. But we live there, don't we? As much as we might know that that is not right, how often do we live as if if we could just get that renovation project done on our lives, that God would finally approve of us. He would finally do His work in us. If we could just put it together, then we could come to Him. That will never work. It's a song we sing often that says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If you will come to God, you cannot check your crap at the door. You have to bring it with you. A vital life of faith, at the center of a vital life of faith, is an ongoing, open conversation with God about sin. Take your guilt and turn it into words. Don't live under its weight. God has given you this resource. Take the weight of your failure, take the weight of your rebellion, Take the weight of your struggle over and again with that sinful pattern of behavior and turn it into words. Now, why would we do that? That doesn't sound very blessed. That doesn't sound like a very glad thing to do. It doesn't sound like a very joyful thing to do. Why would we enter this ongoing, open, honest, authentic conversation with God about our failures? Well, because the practice of confession is not just a cathartic saying of what you feel, or even saying what is true. Confession leads somewhere. It leads to something. The third element of confession, the result of confession. This poem tells not only the, the story of admission of guilt, it also tells the story of God's response to that admission. So verse 5, I acknowledged, I did not cover, I confessed, and what did God do? He forgave. 
Now, forgiveness is an incredibly rich biblical concept that we can't fully delve into tonight. But let me point out two words that will expand our understanding of God's forgiveness. And those two words are cover and count. So verse 1, the psalmist says, Blessed are those who are forgiven. What does that mean? It is those whose sins are covered. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? Genesis? Remember how they rejected God? They chose their own way? What is their first response to their sin? It is to try to cover themselves. Right? And after God comes to them and He confronts them, how does He move towards them in grace and forgiveness? He covers them with animal skins. And that symbolic act becomes an essential part of the pattern of how God moves towards us in our guilt. How He moves towards us in forgiveness. He covers us. In confession, we expose ourselves to Him. And in forgiveness, He covers our shame with His grace. Second word, count. So blessed are those who are forgiven. What does that mean? It's those whose sins are covered. And it means that it it belongs to those against whom God does not count iniquity. In response to confession, God chooses to consider us differently. He not only covers us, but He names us. And He does not name us failure. He does not name us Sinner, he names us forgiven. He names us righteous. So, in confession, we say sinner. And in forgiveness, God says saint. Holy one. The benefits of confession don't stop there. Verses 6 and 7, confession leads to protection, to God being our shield. And then in verses 8 and 9, confession leads to change. God's voice enters this poem, and He says, I will teach you if you will be teachable. And how do we become teachable? Put it in the context of the whole psalm. How do we become teachable? We become teachable by admitting we're wrong and we need, we need correction. We become teachable by confessing our sins, by opening ourselves to God's wisdom, to God's work of change in our lives. How do we know all of these benefits belong to us? How do we know that all of these positive results of confession being forgiven, covered, counted as righteous, protected and changed. How do we know that all of those things belong to us? This is a 
poem that was written a long time ago, written by David, probably used as a part of ancient Israel's worship. How does it belong to us? Well, it belongs to us because we confess our sins in the name of Jesus. So, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul uses Psalm 32 to describe those who are in Jesus Christ by faith. The blessedness of Psalm 32 belongs to those who are in Jesus. So, Jesus experiences the exposure of our shame so that we could be covered by His glory. Jesus experiences the punishment of our rebellion. He becomes sin for us so that we could be called by God righteous, holy. He not only does that, He gives us His presence, His Holy Spirit, who protects us, guides us, and who leads us into profound transformation. The benefits of the confession of sin are yours because you confess your sins in the name of Jesus. Do not make the mistake. Please do not make the mistake of equating the confession of sin that's a part of the teaching of the Christian faith, that's a part of the teaching of Scripture. Do not make the mistake of equating that with pessimism and cynicism. Confession of sin is not saying, hey, I'm messed up, you're messed up, the world is messed up, and there's nothing we can do about it except be honest. That is not Christian confession. Christian confession is, I'm messed up, you're messed up, the world is messed up, but look, look at what God in Jesus has done about it, is doing about it, and will do about it when He returns and makes everything new. The confession of sin does not lead us into cynicism. It leads us into change, into transformation. Vince Gilligan is the creator of the show Breaking Bad, and uh, the show is entering the last half of its last season. It's nearing the finale, and so, of course, there are lots of articles, lots of interviews, lots of profiles of Gilligan that are coming out. And if you read these, you'll see a consistent refrain in them, and they talk about his storytelling as being like the Old Testament, because in his storytelling... Uh, It takes a very pessimistic view of human nature. And people pay for the wrong that they do. That's not Old Testament storytelling. At least it's not all of Old Testament storytelling because Psalm 32 is in the Old Testament. And it does not speak just of the darkness of human nature. It does admit the darkness of human nature, but it does more. Through confession, honest, 
ongoing, open confession to God in the name of Jesus, it leads us not only to the darkness of human nature, but to the light of God's grace. So, confession is good for the soul. It is good for you. But it is good because it leads us to the one who forgives. Will you take the risky move of owning these words, knowing that as you own them, you are held by the unending, infinite grace of God shown to you in Jesus Christ? Let's pray.